thanksgiving and praise if you're joining us by way of the internet we just want you to feel part of the service amen it's up to you to create that atmosphere and i believe god will reach out friend wherever you are and touch you amen amen let's uh let's sing that song he's everything to me change gears here just a little bit he's everything he's everything to me he's everything everything to me he's my father my mother my sister and my brother he's everything to me oh he's everything he's everything to me he's everything he's everything to me he's my father my mother my sister and my brother, he's everything to me. One more time. Oh, he's everything, everything to me. He's everything, he's everything to me. He's my father, my mother, my sister and my brother. He's everything. never failed me yet he's never failed me yet Jesus Christ never failed me yet and go oh, I want the world to know Jesus Christ never failed me yet he never failed me 
yet, never failed me yet. Jesus Christ has never failed me yet. And everywhere I go, I want the world to know Jesus Christ never failed me yet. He's never failed me yet. He's never failed me yet. Jesus Christ never filled me yet. Everywhere I go, I want the world to know Jesus Christ never failed me yet. Oh, He has made me glad. Yes, He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me How we'll rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I'll enter his courts with praise. Oh, I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh, he has made me I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. Once again now. I will enter His gates. Oh, I will enter His courts with praise. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh, yes, he has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He he abides, hallelujah, he abides with me. Oh, I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk in narrow way. For oh, the comforter abides with me. I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk in narrow way. For oh, the hand of God in all my life I see. Yes, the reason of my bliss, oh, the secret all is this, that the Comforter abides with me. Oh, He abides, He abides, hallelujah, He abides with me. I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way, oh, the Comforter abides with me once my heart was full of sin once I had no peace within till I heard how Jesus died upon the tree 
old then I fell down at his feet and there came a peace so sweet now the comforter abides with me oh he abides he abides hallelujah he abides with me I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow for the Comforter abides with me. Oh, He is with me everywhere, and He knows my every care. I'm as happy as a bird, just as free. Amen. Oh, the Spirit has control. Jesus satisfies my soul. That the Comforter abides with me. Oh, He abides, He abides, hallelujah, He abides with me. And I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way, for the Comforter abides with me. Amen, hallelujah, praise you, Lord Jesus. Let's sing one more. Before we change the order of our service, maybe key of G, Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Oh, glow, magnify the Lord with me, for he is worthy to be praised. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. to be praised. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. All right, we're going to bring it up. His name, there we go. <laughs> lives and reigns forevermore. Y'all better watch out now. Oh, glory, glory to His name. He lives and reigns forevermore. Come on now. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Jehovah Jireh is his name. For he provided all my needs. Jehovah Jireh is his name, for he provided all my needs. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, oh blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the 
rock of my salvation. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Come on now, sing it. For oh, He is worthy to be praised. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, He is worthy to be praised. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna. Blessed be the rock. Oh, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Amen. Can we give him some praise? Hallelujah. Amen. My Jesus is worthy of that praise. Hallelujah. Let's change gears here once again. God bless you, everyone. Certainly good to see you all tonight. And uh, may the Lord richly bless you and welcome to our broadcast this evening uh, at HPT. And uh, we appreciate you joining us tonight and jumping into our uh, Bible study here. Wanted to take just a little bit of time tonight in the middle of our week just to uh, learn a little from the Word of God and uh, to be able to fellowship together in this way. I realize that... Uh, been a busy day for most of you, and, and most of you probably started early, uh, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time this evening just to uh, spend a little bit of time in study and, and prayer and uh, just learning what we can. There's never, I, I don't think we could ever really spend too much time doing that. So we welcome all of you in the name of the Lord, and uh, it's good to see you. I just wanted to say I appreciate everybody's thoughts and concerns, um, texts and emails and calls that I got uh, after my surgery yesterday. I don't know if you can see it here, but um, just so um, nice to hear from everybody and uh, everything. The doctor was pretty happy with everything that, that went on and he said I should be able to move my fingers right away after the surgery and uh, I could and I'm thankful for that. And he said it'll take about two weeks of healing and then uh, from there, uh, he said, you should see a substantial change in the uh, movement in your hand. And uh, so I was very thankful for that. Thankful for the flowers that were sent from the church. I never expected that. And, and it was really nice to be able to uh, have that. And I'm going to treasure those for sure. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to jump right in and uh, give you a couple of prayer requests. And then we're going to step into the waters tonight. And uh, we're going to do this uh, in the fourth uh, sermon of our series here on stepping into the waters. And this deals with the order, the crossing into the promised land. And so this is an exciting topic for us. Um, let's uh, give you a couple of prayer requests this evening here, and then we'll go to prayer and we'll just jump right in. Uh, last Sunday that I was at church, um, we had a little uh, baby, Sister Karen's grandson uh, named Lincoln. Who came and he was, uh, we prayed for him. He had been dealing with some uh, uh, discomfort and problems eating and so forth. And uh, they admitted him down in the, in the uh, Levine Hospital in Charlotte. And uh, they've been doing extensive testing on him. I think some of you have probably followed along on some of the reports there. And uh, they've been doing ultrasounds and a barium swallow test and modified test. And um, they feel like he's probably aspirating 
food out of his stomach into his lungs, and that's what's causing some of the problems. And so they're doing <clears throat> an amazing amount of tests. I didn't know they could do all of that on the newborns. And um, Sister Karen has asked us just to continue to remember them in prayer and uh, just trust that God will touch little Lincoln and give him that victory that he needs. Also as well, we want to remember Brother Fulcher tonight, not feeling well. Also, Brother Mike Holloway, and uh, Brother Mike is uh, under, going to be undergoing some tests uh, on the valve in his heart. And uh, also Brother Joe Pascal, as you know, Brother Joe's home. Yesterday he told me uh, he took 110 steps and 25 stairs. And uh, he said he was going to try to rest up today because that was a, a little bit ambitious. But, uh, hey, we're thankful for Brother Joe. And I, I should, if I had the time, I, I should find you a text where Brother Joe, he, he texted me after my surgery and he wanted to know how I was feeling. And he offered, he said, if there's anything that I can do for you, uh, he said, or send one of my workers down and, and be able to help out. And I thought, wow, that's, that's, this is Brother Joe. And I uh, appreciate that very much and uh, glad to see him feeling so well. And I told him it was great to be able to uh, text him again in that way. Uh, also as well, today is Sister Judy Arnold's birthday. Sister Judy, God bless you and uh, appreciate you very much. <clears throat> um, let's take our reading tonight from the scripture and we want to turn to Isaiah 55. And we want to look at a little uh, familiar passage here. But my uh, my thinking on this uh, scripture, I've been meditating and, and studying on this scripture for a while now. And uh, in, in light of this uh, study that we're doing, it's just kind of burst into a whole new meaning here. So I want to use that for a text tonight. And uh, we'll read just two verses and then we'll come back to it again, Lord willing, a little bit later on. Um, but if you will, before we read, let's speak to the author tonight, and you take your requests and bring it to him as well, and uh, we'll Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for so many ways that you have answered prayer, and Lord, you've touched our lives in so many rich ways. I don't think we'll ever, throughout eternity, be able to uh, dialogue enough and testify enough of all the great things that you have done. And Lord, how you minister to us. And Lord, I just pray tonight that as we rejoice in answered prayer, we still have things, Lord, that we have upon our hearts and loved ones that we care about, the sicknesses that we know need your attention, and unspoken requests, Lord, that uh, are very loud to you because they're upon our hearts, and you know our hearts even better than we do. And so we commit our needs to you. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the, the place that we can turn and the the altar that we can bring all of our petitions and we lay them before you, Lord, because that's what you taught us to do. And so we give you this uh, list of needs, Lord, and the needs upon the hearts of your people. We also give you the service tonight and pray that you would be our guide, be our teacher, and just show us your way tonight. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's lovely name. Amen. <clears throat> and amen. Isaiah chapter 55, and we'll read a couple of verses there. Uh, tonight, and we'll begin at verse 8. For my thoughts, Isaiah writes, are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways. Now, this is not Isaiah speaking here. This is God uh, speaking to Israel. And he says, uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your, my, your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, I never knew Brother Branham said this until today, and I wanted to quote this for you, <clears throat> because uh, as you get into a particular 
stream of thinking or a channel of learning things in the, in the Bible, um, sometimes you, you realize, my goodness, there's so much more to this subject or so much more to this uh, topic and you haven't really covered it all and you feel like if you left it or walked away from it, you would be leaving things unsaid and undone. And uh, sometimes I feel bad, you know, when we have a series that rolls on for a while and I think, well, maybe everyone's getting tired of that and we should move on. But I found this statement where Brother Branham said, now, if any scriptures I'm quoting is questioned, and he was uh, teaching on the mark of the beast, by the way, he said, I'll give you the place where it is in the scripture. And usually when we comb through it, we take weeks and months, just every scripture and run it down and have the people with their Bibles. So Brother Branham's burden was for the people to know it from the beginning right to the end and to cover uh, with great clarity uh, any particular subject. And he was referring to the mark of the beast here. And he wanted the people to have a clear understanding of what the Bible actually said. Because when we have that understanding, then we're really tapping into the mind of God. And so many uh, threads uh, Brother Brandon would take from the beginning out of the book of Genesis, and he would just wind it all the way down through and uh, bring it right out into the book of Genesis. And he was just, uh, it, that is just a fascinating thing and a beautiful thing that he often did uh, in his preaching. And he could take things like serpent seed and just run it all the way through and find these uh, consistencies all the way through the, the whole Bible. And uh, he said, sometimes that takes weeks and even months uh, to get through it. So uh, I feel I felt a little bit better in uh, in dealing with some of these issues at length. And I hope you I hope you don't mind. I hope uh, it's a blessing to you. So uh, we 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 find that as we uh, delve into this and this whole theme of crossing over into our inheritance. Uh, we realize that really what God is focused on is uh, the maturity of the bride of Jesus Christ. Your spiritual growth is something that is really, really important to him. And he said, uh, he, he quoted this, and we'll find it in just a moment here, where Paul wrote in Hebrews 12, make straight paths for your feet. And that word straight there, it's only used in two places in the New Testament, and it means upright. And you get this idea that uh, the, the same word is used when Peter goes into the uh, temple in Acts chapter 4, uh, right after the day of Pentecost, and uh, this man was asking for alms, and Peter said, he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand up on your feet. And he uses the same word. He said, stand straight upon your feet. In other words, stand upright. Uh, this is not, there is no crookedness here. Uh, there's no deformity here. There's no, um, there, there's nothing out of the way, but you want to make straight paths for your feet. And that's what Hebrews 12 is, is telling us here. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it be rather, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, which out with, without which no man shall see the Lord. So Paul was encouraging, right? Admonishing the bride of Christ, the people of God to make straight paths for your feet. And if there's anything out of the way, anything that's considered lame or crooked, then let it be healed. And, and that's really what this is about, this series is about, is, is an approach to healing the things that may be lame in your life or crooked or not straight or upright in your life. If there's anything that's, that's not upright, 
I will tell you that the Holy Spirit wants to deal with it before we cross into the promised land because there's some things he knows he does not want you to deal with for eternity. Thank God. He does not want you to uh, have to labor with things in the promised land that are not meant to be there. He wants you to have peace and everlasting joy all through the, uh, the, the, the rest of, rest of uh, eternity. And so here's, here's a, a way that Brother Brandon said it in 1953. He says, now, we got to come to full doctrine. And I like good old shouting meetings where we just clap our hands and shout and have a good time and have great powerful services. But when the showdown uh, time comes, he said, you don't know where you're standing. There's a great journey and a great battle ahead for the church. And God's going to turn his church into manhood now. And we're going to have to put away childish things and take on manhood and maturity. So that's the goal. The goal is maturity. The goal is our uprightness. And the goal is to have real men and women who are solid in the faith. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a powerful meeting with singing and testimonies and, and the joy of the Lord expressed and, uh, you know, r real worship. I, I love to be in a meeting where there's real worship and a real sense of the presence of God. I love to, to have that. I, I love to see the people be free to enter into that. And I think uh, probably every pastor would say the same thing, that we would probably like to see uh, more of that, of an acceptance and a worship of the uh, true presence of God. But I will tell you, I will tell you this, and I agree with Brother Random 100% here, that when it comes to a showdown, when it comes to the end time, and it comes to difficulties that, that lay ahead, I, I want to know where I'm standing, and I want to know what I believe, and I want to see it in the Scripture, and I want to make sure that I am tied to the absolute of the hour and not just my own thoughts. And so God is turning the church. Now, a, a big church turns slow, uh, but he's wanting to bring that church into maturity where we're, we're sensitive enough and mature enough to be able to turn away from carnal things and also to continually check what we have and what we know by the absolute that God has established. So if he's, if he's dropped a plumb line in our time, then we want to line up to that and not to anything else. And, and that's, what the, that's what God is training his church to do and to bring, him into man, bring her into manhood. And uh, I'm so grateful to be a part of that and, and uh, to, to see that training go on. Uh, I, I think it's just a, uh, just a tremendous privilege to be in this school, uh, to be learning. But again, uh, there's nothing as, as beautiful as, as true worship and uh, inspiration and, and just a blessing of the presence of God. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And there's no reason you can't have both. I think we should have both. Uh, and, and the church should have a, a life and a, a presence. It should be uh, to the place where when, when a stranger comes in and stands among us, they say, wow, these people are not just here for the lecture. These people are in love with the author. And I think that's a, a great way to say it. And I think it's a, just a, a beautiful goal for us. And that's what God is wanting to do, to bring us to full doctrine and have the maturity to be able to handle it and to be able to believe it and uh, make sure that everything we believe is according to God's standard and God's way. Now, uh, here, here he says it again here in this little statement in 1954. Now, we, we remember that redemption is a two-part thing. Brother Brandon tells us it's a coming out of something and a going into something. And you can't have one without the other. They are like two wings uh, uh, on the same bird. You, you cannot just eliminate one of them or have one of them, even in full possession and full operation, without the other. 
because you're not going to go in if you haven't come out. <clears throat> and you you can't, uh, there's no point in coming out if you have nowhere to enter in. And so Brother Branham says about Israel, now they came out and notice blood redemption brought them out of Egypt. God made a way for them to come out through the Red Sea, through the blood of Christ. But they had to have something else now to take them on over into the land. So they had something to take them out, but they had to have something to take them in. And that's what Brother Branham is referring to here in the, uh, in the previous slide, that it's it's not our thoughts. It's, it's the full doctrine. It's the full word. It is the, the full open word, the open book uh, that God has given to us, a full seven-course meal that God has prepared for us. And it's in the hearing of that word that builds faith. And by faith, we're going to enter into that land, just like Enoch walked with God and God took him. So they had something to bring him out. They had got to have something to bring him in. We had to have something to bring us out into communion and fellowship with God. But let me tell you, he's not, he's not training us or maturing us just to live in this world. I believe that he wants to take us over into the land. And we're going to have to have a special kind of faith, a unique faith, to get from here into the promised land. And, and that is found in the full word that Brother Bram's talking about. So uh, he compliments himself here in what he's saying. Now, just in case you've forgotten this quote, I think it's a great one to remind ourselves of. Uh, he said, and he's talking about the the, the, the menorah, the seven uh, golden candlesticks and how that uh, the light is passed from one generation to another, one messenger to another. And he says, there is with the seven stars in his right hand, there he is. And Christ is in the midst of that. And in the right hand of power, seven stars. And he's describing the book of Revelation chapter one here. And these stars are the seven church age messengers. And this signifies that the very power and authority of God are behind his messengers to every age. So it's not, it's not Brother Branham's intellect. And it's not the, the force of Branham Tabernacle. It's not even the agreement of all the bride of Christ that gives him his authority. It is the very presence of God, the very power and authority of God that are behind those messengers. So you got to reckon with that. I mean, I'm, I'm just reading what he says. I'm just saying what the tapes say here. You got to reckon with that, that if, if indeed what that, what that light shone forth is actually backed by the power and authority of God, then you have to decide whether you're going to take heed to that. And that's going to matter now as we go forward here. They go forth, those messengers go forth in the fire and power of the Holy Ghost with the word, and they are stars because they reflect light, and the light they reflect is his light. They have no light of their own. The light they reflect is his light. They have no light of their own. And we are ordained to walk in that light. And so it's a very, uh, it's a very critical thing that we are... Uh, sensitive to this. Forgive me, just let me pause for a moment and say that, uh, not that I forgot today, but I, I forgot to mention that uh, Sister Trish uh, Ningamaza, uh, her due date is today, I believe, and uh, we want to be praying for her, Sister Trish. Uh, I know you're listening tonight, and uh, we just want you to know we're excited with you and, and praying for both of you that everything goes well, and we're uh, just expecting great things, and uh, looking forward to the birth of uh, a new little one and uh, growth in the Ningamaza family. So uh, we're praying for you tonight. So <clears throat> let me just pick up where we left off here. The light that they reflect, the light that these messengers had was not their own. So they were, they were moved as God 
uh, inspired them to write and to teach and to speak uh, the, the things that were pertinent for our day and required for our day because Brother Bram said that every generation gets its chance at the message of the hour and that is the light of God that we are to walk in. And we have, uh, I believe, the greatest illumination that has ever come in the Bible uh, of any age. God has privileged us to live in the greatest and strongest light that has uh, shown in our time. And I, I will say this, that uh, as, uh, <clears throat> to live in our world today we needed a strong voice in a world filled with many voices, and many of them are subtle. Many of them are um, they are distracting, uh, and and they are they would be distracting to God's people because they have a mixture of truth in them. But we have been trained, and the whole process of bringing us into maturity and to identify ourselves as sons and daughters of God is to check everything and align ourselves uh, with the absolute that God has given to us. And, and it is just critical because our world is filled with voices and we had to have a clear sound. We had to have uh, a, a very distinct sound in our time in order for us to know exactly what God wanted us to hear. Now, um, let, let me, uh, and I'm, I'm just I'm placing a few things here, placing some things on the board here for us in the way of review. In Jeremiah chapter 6, you'll find Jeremiah correcting uh, the Levites and the ministers back then. And he says, for from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. The ministry back then, he said, and, and these remember now, these are people who are, Going into exile, they're, they're being they're being taken out for as a form of punishment. They're taken out of the land of Israel because every one of them, he says, are given to covetousness. They're all into this in into the 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 ministry for what they can get themselves. They have a focus on money, they have a focus on on possessions, and from the prophet even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Falsely, and here's how they have done it. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. In other words, I want you to think about this verse here. Jeremiah is uncovering something that is in the heart of people who should have the burden for, for healing among God's people, and all they're doing is putting a Band-Aid over the problem. They're saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So in other words, they're not trying to find a source of the problem, and they're not really preparing the people to move on. They're just placating the people or pacifying the people by just covering up the things that are wrong because they don't want to lose the gain that they get by having the people there. So this is all about what they receive, not what they're supposed to give. And, and Jeremiah, it's, it's just incredible because God knows the heart. And he uncovers this. He said, from the, from the greatest even to the least, even the prophet and the priest, every one of them dealeth falsely. Because, listen, our God is a surgeon. Our God is not afraid to let people go through difficult things and to dig deep and to find those things that don't belong there. And he's a surgeon. He's a healer. And he's a doctor. He's a physician. He's one who gets in there and makes the right 
the right cuts and the right removal and the right healing that must go on. And he digs deep into our life, and he does it in a number of ways. He does it through marriage. He does it through negative experiences. He does it through your world falling apart. He does it through losing a job. He does it through, uh, you know, uh, sickness and loved ones or, uh, you know, tra tragedies that strike. He does it through viruses. He does it through all kinds of things that happen in life where it feels like uh, this, this is out of your control. And God uses those things because only God can uh, use things that are, are uh, negative. You know, the, all things work together for good to them that love God, even the bad things. And God can turn good out of out of evil things that come the way of God's people. It's just incredible how uh, God can do that. And God's process, God's uh, desire is to dig deep and make sure there's no root of anything left. Let me tell you, if I had uh, a, a terrible disease like cancer, God forbid, I would want to go to a doctor who dug deep and make sure they got it all. I wouldn't want to have him say, well, you know what, I think we got the obvious parts out of here, so that'll probably be good. I'd want him to go all the way down and make sure we got everything out of there. I want to make sure every last cell is gone and there's absolutely nothing left because the, even the little parts of it are going to eventually grow again and destroy you. And when the Holy Spirit does the work in our hearts, he does not want to leave uh, you know, portions of it there. This is a work for, for keeps. This is a work for uh, the good of his people. And God is trying to get the the very uh, the very totality of whatever ails us or whatever weakens us, whatever compromises our relationship with Him. He wants to take it out and He wants to remove it so that we have complete healing in our bodies. That's the kind of doctor God is. He's not one that says, "Well, peace, peace," and there is no peace, and just puts a bandaid over the top of it. No, let me tell you, when you appeal to God to say, "Search my heart, O God," He's going to do it, and He's going to do it all the way to make sure that there's nothing left there. And He does that because He loves you. I found this quotation by uh, uh, an author who wrote this statement here, and I just really liked it. The most beautiful people that we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, and known loss, and have found their way out of the depths of despair and out of their, out of their turmoil. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep love and concern. Deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. God is not afraid to take you through the, the mire. He's not afraid to take you through the, uh, the battlefield. He's not, a, not afraid to take your hand and bring you through the most difficult experiences to bring out a beauty and a character in you that you never knew was there. You would not choose the way of suffering and struggle. You would not you would not volunteer for loss and, and sickness and death. You would not, uh, you would not uh, volunteer for those things freely. But God knows how to bring you through it all to remove things out of your life so that people can see the character of Christ in you. Beautiful people do not just happen. It is a process. And this process is what this little series is all about. And the preaching of the word, it's meant to uh, deal with us line upon line, here a little and there a little, and to get to the very root of the issues that slow us down or distract us from our walk with God, and that's really what uh, what He's what He's doing in our lives. I, I think that's just tremendous. You know, people have asked me, and and not, uh, I mean, several people have asked me, are, are you talking about this whole idea of control because you're you're pointing this at me? And I I honestly can tell people, uh, though I've had many experiences where I've uh, you know seen that in families and seen it in churches and seen it in couples and relationships. 
I'm not dealing with any one person because I know I do not have the ability to change anybody. I have my hands full in trying to change myself and getting out of the way so the Holy Spirit can bring real effective change. So I can honestly tell you I'm not targeting this at any individual. I can say that before God. But I love statements like this because Brother Branham explains how it works. He says, and this is what he was saying to the people in 1960 at the beginning of a, a, a meeting that they were having. And he says, now listen for the voice of God to speak to you. It will change you. It'll take all the doubt out of your mind, knowing the Lord Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you listen for the voice of God to speak to you. It'll change you. Brother Branham didn't say, I will change you. I will make you a new person. He didn't do that. He said, let the voice of God speak to you through his word. He said, he knows how to change you. And he'll take things out of your mind and he'll replace it with good things. And when we see him come into the meetings and begin to do the same things that he did when he was here on earth, then you want to listen close for that little voice. And that's something that'll change you and say, yes, God, that's exactly what the scripture says. That's word by word wrote what the scripture says. Go home. Here's his advice. Go home, take your Bible, reason it out and see if it's right. Search the scripture. It has to come from Genesis to Revelation through the Bible. That's, and that's exactly your promise. And hear God. It'll change you. It'll give you faith to believe. I think that's tremendous advice. I hope you're listening today. That I, I, uh, you can you can amen. I still have people that ask me where the amen button is. I'll tell you where the amen button is. It's on your phone, and you can just text me, and uh, you can uh, let me know that you're listening out there. But I think this is we could close this service right here and uh, and and finish this off. You listen for the voice of God in these meetings that we have in services. Listen to the voice of God. Let it speak to you. And then you, you check it out in the Bible. And when you do, you listen close for that little voice. And there's something that that's just speaks to your heart and say, Lord, that's what the scripture says. That's word by word what it says. And if that's true, then that's the mind of God. That's what God wants for me. And go home. Take your Bible. Reason it out, saith, saith the Lord. And search the scriptures. And if, it, and if it truly is the truth, then that's your promise. And you're hearing from God. When, when the word of God is quickened to you, you're actually hearing from God. And that will change you. So it's pointless for me to try to take the word and speak to somebody individually in the church through a service. That's not how it works. That's, that's not going to endear me to anybody. And it's not going to correct anyone. Everyone's going to become defensive if a minister starts to do that. What you want to do is preach the word of God. And let the voice of God uh, speak to your heart. And as it speaks to your heart, and then you realize that is God that's actually speaking to me because he loves me and he wants me to be a better person. Then let me tell you, that's your promise. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I will, I will trust in you. And it'll change you. That will change you and give you faith to believe. Not just for healing of your physical body, but healing for the inner man, which is what we're uh, talking about in this little series here. All right. So let's pause for a minute here, and, and uh, this is familiar to you. We're talking about the order of entry into the promised land and how, uh, how things lined up in the days of Joshua and how they crossed over the river into, uh, back into the promised land. This is where they belonged. This is where they were supposed to be. And they were to watch the word, and the word was going to go ahead of them. God had already this, this uh, already had the plan arranged. 
they were going to sanctify themselves. They had to separate themselves and disconnect with everything that did not belong across the river. And then they were to step in. They were to go all the way. And they were to commit themselves completely uh, to crossing the river. So this idea of holiness, just for a moment here, and I wanted to, to deal with this uh, a little more extensively, but I, uh, I'm, I'm just going to have to work my way to it. Uh, they, they had to, they had to, exp they had to uh, separate themselves. They had to sanctify themselves. They had to wash. They had to, uh, you know, purge anything that didn't belong. And this is the, the second step that Joshua told them. I'm going to deal with this at length a little bit more as we go along. Because in Hebrews 12, again, it says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. You should never think that holiness is out of season or we've moved on, uh, you know, from conservative, the conservative ways that God would have us to live. Let me tell you, holiness is always in season if you want to see God. If you want to meet with him up the road, holiness is going to be one of the ways you get to see him. Because without it, you'll not see the Lord. The word follow, we often think, is a passive thing. You know, I've got a leader, I'm a follower. The word follow here in the Greek where it says, follow peace with all men and holiness. Look at the definition of the word. It means in any way, whatever, to pursue, seek after, eagerly, earnestly, endeavor to acquire something. I'm going to do in any way, whatever it takes to, to pursue this. And in other words, I'm not going to lose my way. I'm not going to lose sight of it. I'm not going to let anything distract me from it. I'm going to, hey, I'm on it. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be steered away. I'm not gonna be distracted at all. And that's the determination. This following is not just a passive, uh, you know, get in line up for the parade. This this following is an active, aggressive pursuit of something that you know you need. And that's what following actually is. All right. So we find here's Brother Branham in 1960, and uh, he was out west, and he said, Brother Williams, God may ever be with you and your son in this great work, the missionaries and so forth, how I appreciate this. Never, never get away from it, friends. Don't never let that spirit of worship and that clean holiness ever die among you. Whenever you see that, when that spirit of worship and the clean holiness die among the people, you immediately start to see it manifest itself in the outward realm. You'll start to see, uh, you know, excessive jewelry. You'll start to see girls who wear skirts that come above their knees, and they don't care. Uh, you'll start to see things that uh, creep in, you know, like uh, just a, a worldly attitude and uh, different things that are there that people think, oh, it's okay. You know why? Because everybody's doing it, and they're seeing it online. They're seeing it on social media, and all of a sudden, you know, that makes it right. That makes it okay. And here's Brother Branham encouraging this Brother Williams. He said, don't never let that spirit of worship and that clean holiness ever die among you because it's always in season. If you want to see God, you have to maintain a spirit and an atmosphere of holiness. And I will tell you what, that may seem old fashioned. And I will tell, I could show you quotes here where Brother Branham says, no matter how hard I preach it, the worse it gets. In other words, there seems to be among people an automatic pushback from the flesh whenever you get into this area. So I will apologize for this and say that it is uncomfortable for, for us to talk about subjects like this. And I expect a certain amount of pushback. But I would encourage you to do what Brother Branham said to do, and that is take your Bible, ponder it, and reason it out, and see whether that actually is what God says. And then 
claim that as your promise and say, Lord, if I don't have the right attitude towards this, then Lord, change my attitude. Transform me so I'll think right about this. This is not Brother Barry here. This is this is the, the, the spirit of worship and the spirit of holiness that should dwell among us and should ever be alive. And, and we should pursue it with all of our heart. This screen right here, to me, is your uh, direction when it comes to this whole part number two that Joshua told the people. Follow the word. We're going to practice holiness. And he says, step into the waters. And so this is never out of season. This is always appropriate. And I believe it's right for ministers to preach it, even if there's a pushback. If there's a resistance to it, I think it's still right for us to preach it, as old-fashioned as it sounds. And I don't believe that the uh, the peer pressure of the time gives us permission to override the standards of God's Word. Did you get that? I don't believe that peer pressure or the fact that everybody's doing it overrides the standards that God raises in His own Word. If you're going to lower your standard below God's below God's standard, if you're going to bring the standard below God's standard, you're going to have to accept the consequences for that. And I will guarantee you that where whenever you lower the standard, it begins to show up in the lives of people in the church. And very often it shows up in the people with the weakest experience with God. And that's not pleasing to God. We should be doing everything to bring people up and not be in, uh, loosening the standards so that everybody can uh, live in a, on a lower level. All right, I'll get off my bandwagon here. Let's go a little bit further. I want to drop this in here as well. Someone asked Brother Branham the question, I am saved and I've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, but how do I get from a, how do I get away from a stubborn spirit that I can't seem to break away from? In other words, uh, this thing plagues me and I can't break away from it. I know it's wrong, but I can't break away from it. Now watch what he says. This is a portion of his answer. And I want you to look at it because there's a crutch here that if you don't take the whole answer, you can, you can, uh, you can be mistaken. Well, my Christian brother and sister, most times people that's got a stubborn spirit, it's usually a complex that causes this, either inherited from their mother, father, uncle, aunt, grandmother, grandfather, somebody like that. In other words, it's it's passed on to me. And that's what Brother Branham is explaining. Usually, this is the way it comes. And if you'll chase that back down through your life, I've met cases on the platform, thousands of those that had that spirit. The first thing I chase that spirit right back by discernment and find there's a granddaddy or grandmother somewhere else back down here, and you inherit that by nature. Now, if you stop there and you think, oh, wow, you know what? I've got a problem. I know it's wrong, but I inherited it, and uh, you know what? Uh, it's not really my problem. It was grandfather's problem, and <laughs> I don't need to worry about it because I didn't cause it in the first place. I have a little news for you. Yeah, it's a good thing for you not to stop right there because... The message and the Bible tells us that we are overcomers. So no matter what you inherited, and no matter what your what the crippling thing in your life is, no matter what the lameness is in your life, we are commissioned to resist those things and make straight paths for our feet. I hope you're catching this. We find many scriptures that deal with this. In 1 John 4, for instance, we are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So therefore, it isn't you that's got to overcome it, but you have to let him overcome that in you. 1 John 5, 
who whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And so therefore, we are called to be overcomers. All of us are not just neutralizers, but to stand straight, to overcome. How? And here's Brother Random. He deals an entire sermon on this subject. How can I overcome? It's by taking the word, the promise, in humility and humbly walking. You'll never know you need to overcome a problem until you humble yourself to what you see in the mirror. You've got to hold up the word of, of, of life as a mirror and look at it and, and humble yourself before it. Listen, folks, this applies to me and to my family and to every family who's listening, every individual, by taking the word of God, looking at it as a mirror and humbling yourself to that and humbly walking on and saying, Lord, I know that attitude is wrong. I know that that issue doesn't belong in eternity. I know I can't carry that across the river. I know that doesn't belong across Jordan. I know I've got to leave it on this side of Jordan. Father, help me now. And that's the attitude you got to have. And I will guarantee you that whenever you t adopt that attitude, the Holy Spirit will honor that, and he'll bring you to a place of deliverance from that spirit. Okay? So that's what's important. Here's what Brother Branham says, Christians, I may never see you again. It's been years since I've been here. May, may I may never see you again. Line up with God's word. Look in the mirror. And as the caution we've read many times here now, the only thing, don't try to line scripture up to your thought, but line yourself up to the scripture, and then you're running with God. No matter how much you have to cut away or lay aside, you line up with that. It never, God's never responsible to line his word up with your thought. So let's deal with this idea of control. Now this is important because we really don't know how much control we should have, except by the Spirit. We really don't know uh, the full responsibility that God gives to us, except that he inspires us. And we do know a couple of things. That is this, that God controls everything. And he is the one that he is the one that uh, has designed us and made us a certain way. Our goal is to come as close as we can to God's original design for us in this world before we step into that world. So in the kingdom of God, you're viewed one way. In this world, we're viewed as less than that because we're born in sin. We're not even in the right body. But what we want to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us through this process of cleansing and so forth and, and the process of, of uh, growing the, the inner man into a place of perfection. We, we, want to, we want to come to that place where we match our original design in this world as close as possible to what we are seen as in the world to come. And then the stepping over into that world is not a greater transition. The way to do that is to surrender the control of your life into the hands of God, to let him take the steering wheel. And number one, God is in control. Secondly, there is self-control. And thirdly, there is an unhealthy kind of control, and that's the kind of control that we want to, uh, that we're dealing with, and we're coming to slowly. Now you ask the question, does God want, is God a controller? Does he want to control over you? Let me give you the clear answer. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock, 1958. He's standing, knocking, trying to get in to control you, to make you what you should be, to take away the world from you and to make you new creatures of his. And that's why he gives you the things he's given you. That's why he's given you a pastor. That's why he's given you the word of God. That's why he's given you the uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can understand and know the things that are uh, required of you. Uh, otherwise, you would never know. So, yes, he's trying to control you to make you what you should be so you can be happy throughout eternity. That's exactly right. That's the answer to that question. And Jesus' whole thrust in his ministry was he came to uh, reconcile man with God again, and uh, he wanted to set men free from everything that bound them, everything that held them back. And if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. We're thankful for that. So the only real control that you have any um, any control over, pardon the pun, is self-control, and that is a fruit of the Spirit. So the self-control that we exercise in our life for good really comes because he's given you that uh, that experience of adding temperance to your total experience. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all of these, meekness and temperance against which there is no law. The meaning of temperance is to be of sound mind and to exercise self-control and to put a moderate estimate upon oneself and to think of oneself soberly and to curb passions. So we are never to think more of ourselves than what we should. Uh, and, and you'll find that as we deal with this subject of, of, of control, there, there is under, underlying that exercise of control, the unhealthy kind, a spirit of pride. Because nobody's going to make up my mind and nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I'm going to make the decisions and I'm going to be the one to decide what is right for me. And I'm going to extend that control to what is right for everybody else. And there is a pride in that. And it's a very powerful thing. And you remember when the uh, we used this example uh, last time, Mark chapter 5, when they found the, uh, the man who was possessed by the legion of angels, of demons, and uh, when when he was delivered, then he came and sat at the feet of Jesus, and he was in his right mind. And uh, he had a humbled, <laughs> certainly had a humble attitude, uh, because without Christ, uh, his life certainly would have been different. We find this in Scripture. Uh, young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. The problem with young men, and uh, hey, I, I, I know what I'm talking about because I was there, and many times young people, uh, feel that they're they have an invincibility about them that you know they won't fall they don't need this they don't need that because you know they they have a, a confidence and they don't realize that they need to make sure they have a, a good humble opinion of themselves and not to think of themselves stronger than what they really are because god's not afraid to test your strength and god is not afraid to test how far you can go and sometimes you'll find yourself slipping down a slippery slope uh, that is a very difficult one to get back up. So we should never think of ourselves more highly than what we ought to, but we should think, as Romans 12 says, we should think soberly. And that word soberly is very powerful for us. Paul writes and says, Therefore I so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beat at the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. So my whole goal is to uh, make sure that my body's not leading me about, but I'm actually, uh, you know, the inner man is one who has control of the outer man. 
And uh, that's a very important thing. So that's the kind of self-control. And Brother Branham even, even prayed that. Uh, in several places, Brother Branham said, may we shape our lives by self-control that we'll know by the help of the Holy Spirit to have a full confidence at the end of the road that what we have uh, come to, what we've accomplished in life is something that's approved by God uh, because we have controlled the outer man and the elements that are so easily carnal and our thinking and our free time and our alone time, all of that, it's, it, sometimes we can be very quick to lean towards the carnal, especially if you have a connection to the internet and the, the you know, the, all the forms of entertainment that are there and games and, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the labyrinth of entertainment that's there, that's out there today. It's so easy to fall into that. And brother Branham saying, may God, you give us that, uh, that, that sense of uh, self-control and may our lives be shaped by that. May we, may we exercise that frequently and thoroughly so that you know what my uh the the part that's not born again does not overtake the part that is let's go a little farther let me just talk about this on healthy control because i want to deal i want to introduce something here to you tonight now remember controlling behavior is by definition something that's designed to exploit intimidate or manipulate someone or something for selfish reasons. And this could be a pastor to a church. It could be a husband to a family or a wife to a husband, whatever. This involves depriving someone else of their independence to show domination. And this type of behavior is extremely dangerous because it often leads to things that are worse. Now, <clears throat> what, what, what this means is that when you deprive someone of their independence, that you're telling them if I if I if I was controlling somebody, I would be telling them what they're feeling, telling them what they should know, telling them what they should do, and all of their interpretation of life comes from the outside. There's an external force that's making them understand what's going on, and that is completely contrary. To how God works because he operates from the inside out and not from the outside in Satan works from the outside in and we'll demonstrate that in just a moment here so when somebody who's a controller operates they want to take away someone's independence I'm going to tell you what to say I'm going to finish your conversation I'm going to tell you what we're going to do uh, you know, uh, in a certain circumstance, and I'm going to uh, control the finances here so that nobody else has a say. I'm going to tell you what your priorities are. I'm going to tell you how we're going to do a certain thing, and there's going to be no question about that. So there's no, no one else has any independence. What causes control is typically a reaction to the fear of losing control. And people who struggle with the need to be in control often fear being at the mercy of others. And usually this is a response uh, to traumatic events or things that they've experienced in life. And we'll, we'll look at some specific examples here as we go up the road. But uh, I, I just want you to uh, recall here, uh, and I, I listed a few of these things last week here, and I just will throw them up on the board uh, for you to take a look at. Uh, but people who are controllers they they just insist on having their way now you know you live with a controller 
when you are reluctant to resist somebody in your family because you know there's going to be a Hiroshima Nagasaki. It's going to be an all-out battle or an all-out war if you go against somebody. And there's usually somebody in a household or there's a situation in a church or something else where, or somebody at your work, somebody at your job, where the moment you contradict somebody, there's going to be an explosion. You're going to have an uphill battle. And usually people avoid the conflict and they give in and allow the controller to control. But a controller will fight and do whatever they can to make sure that everybody's thinking their way. And everything that goes wrong is everyone else's fault. They refuse to accept blame. They need to be the center of attention. They lament at the fact of, that they're, they're not the center of attention. They fail on the scripture that says, that when one member rejoices, we should all rejoice. And when one member of, of the body hurts, then we should all hurt. They don't see that. That's a very hard thing for them to, uh, to see. Many times they'll say, if they hear about the calamity of somebody, another believer, they'll say, well, you know what? They, uh, they played with fire. They're going to get burned. They want to control the finances. They dictate where you can go, what you can do. They know no boundaries. The, the, the spirit that operates in this realm does not know any boundaries. It absolutely will carry on to a great extent. Now, <clears throat> there is a, <laughs> uh, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof of the ways of death. Solomon is, is saying something that's, that's very true here. Now, I want you to watch how Brother Branham uses this scripture here. And now, again, you're going to have to forgive me here because th these things are not always pleasant. And, and this is not the kind where you'd probably run around the room, room uh, rejoicing and hollering uh, here. But this is one of those times where you just kind of want to look at yourself here in light of this and say, Lord, if there's anything in here for me, then Lord, don't let me miss it. Brother Branham is... He's using the scripture where Jesus stood over Jerusalem. And the people there have the Messiah with them, but they fail to acknowledge him because they have taken control of their own destiny and their own worship. And Jesus laments this on the top of the hill, and he looks over Jerusalem in tears, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have hovered you over you like a hen does her brood? And he's paraphrasing the scripture. How oft would I have made you mine, but you would not. You had your own seminaries. You hatched out your, your priests. They taught you against me. Your destruction lays ahead of you, oh people. How oft, now he's bringing it to our time. How oft the Holy Spirit would have hovered over you as a hen does her brood, but you want your own way. You're going to have your own way about it. One of these nights I'd like to preach on your own way. You know, Cain wanted his way, and man wants his own way today. There's a way that seemeth right, but the end thereof is the ways of death. It is a part of nature 
to want to control your own way, to want to clear away the obstacles that seem to rob us of our happiness and our peace. And you want to make decisions about things around you and change the circumstances when in reality it's God who's designed the circumstances. All right, Genesis 3. Take a look at this very familiar passage of Scripture. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of the tree of, of uh, every tree of the garden. This is the root cause of control now, unhealthy control. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall he touch it, lest you die. So this is Eve now telling Satan. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. That's the first thing that should uh, cause us alarm. Because what he's saying is that there's no consequence for sin. The serpent is, is categorically telling Eve, you shall not surely die. There will be no consequence for your disobedience. So don't worry about that. Here's something that God says, you don't need to worry about it. So there's no consequence for your disobedience here. For God doth know. Four words that ought to catch our attention because of the way he says this. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So in other words, the implication is this, that Satan is discrediting what God has told Eve and the instructions he's given Eve and Adam and telling her that God actually has more for you, but he's not giving it to you. He's controlling this whole thing and you should not trust God to define what is good and what is not good. God has actually bound you. This is what Satan is lying to Eve about. He's actually restricted you from defining what is good and what is evil. And he says, you don't need to let God define that for you. You can do that yourself. God knows that in the day you eat thereof, you will be able to know what's good and evil. But God is controlling you so that you can't know that because your eyes are still your, your eyes are not opened. And so therefore there is more good. There is there is something better but God's got you blinded or cut off to it. So don't trust God to define good and evil. You can do that. You can determine what's good for your life. You can determine what's bad for your life, what you need and what you don't need. And that's the lie that he uh, sowed in Eve's heart, in Eve's mind there, that you're letting God do that. And you don't really, you should not really let God do that. You should rather uh, make those decisions for yourself. And as a result of that, uh, we feel like, oh, okay, this is this is something that uh, that Satan's trying to pull over my eyes here, and we want to decide. Very often, we get it in our own mind, and look at the people of the world. They're trying to decide what's good. They're trying to decide what's evil. They're trying to make things that are absolutely incorrect correct, and making things that are correct incorrect. Let me tell you that uh, I don't know if you uh, there was uh, some some news on just recently where uh, the large social media organizations like uh, 
Twitter and different ones. I don't have any of those accounts, but they, they, they're now exercising authority to cut people off and cut organizations off. They just cut focus on the family off because the algorithm has concluded that what they're saying is either limiting or discriminatory or not tolerant by their own definition. So they are defining what is good and what is evil. And as a result, they're cutting people off because they don't conform to their interpretation of what's good and evil. Do you understand, and I hope you sure do, that we are a very short step away from being cut off and not having a platform to minister? And we're either going to be, have to become much more closed in our approach or uh, have to cut off uh, access at all so we wouldn't be able to have a meeting like this because we wouldn't have a platform for, uh, you know, uh, the Skype or something else to, you know, to make decisions that, uh, hey, this is inflammatory or this is, uh, uh, this is somehow discriminatory and we're not going to uh, tolerate these people being on here. And uh, we're, we're going to decide what's good and what's evil. And Satan's whole tactic is to get you to decide that rather than God to decide that. And I want you to take a look, if you don't mind, back in Isaiah chapter 55, and I wish we had a little bit more time. He says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found, and call ye upon him while he is near. That's now, by the way. That's right now. Verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. Now watch the distinction that's made here. He says very carefully, verse 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Those are two different things. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down uh, and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth mud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that go forth out of my mouth, and it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing where I send it to. So there's a difference, there's a distinction here. And if you like, there's a contest between his ways and my ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts in my ways, in your ways. And as long as you continue to exercise control over your ways and a control of your own destiny, control, control of your own circumstances, let me tell you, that can be very often contrary to God's ways because, listen, number one, you're not God. Number two, you're not the creator. Number three, you don't know the future. Those are three very important things that we need to understand. And God knows where he's bringing us. And this is where humbling ourselves and having faith in God to the challenge of risking everything in the hands of God and in the arms of God under his leadership is what we're called to do. You're not called to know and understand and interpret everything correctly. You're called to, by faith, walk with God and hold on to lean upon his arms of understanding. And there are times when God deems the relationships you're in to be the best ones for you right now. And the circumstances that you face, even if they're hard or difficult, and even if your, uh, your family is not the happiest or your job doesn't pay the most or whatever, whatever else, I believe God is big enough, my God is big enough 
to be able to ordain circumstances for my life, for my good at the present time, and he can change them whenever he decides because he knows the future and he knows what I need to learn prior to my leaving this world. And he wants us to, con to conform, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind mm -hmm. so that we are prepared to meet him in eternity. You are not God. You are not in control. Really, your control is an illusion. The only, self con the only control that we have, like I said, is self-control, and that's a fruit of the Spirit. That comes because we know God. But God knows, God cares, and God has a plan. Let me say it again. God knows, God cares, and God has a plan. And if God knows and God cares and God has a plan, you've got a choice. Your choice is not to come up with a better plan, and your choice is not to come up with a better program and a way of executing it. Your choice is to whether you're going to let God control your life or whether uh, you're going to take the control and, and uh, do things your way. God cares, God has a plan, and God uh, knows the future. He knows exactly where you're supposed to go. He knows exactly the circumstance you're supposed to be in at the moment here until this thing all winds up. My ways are not your ways. Now, here's the principle. There's something quite different in producing and bearing. We produce education, psychology, intellectuals from the outside form. But to bear fruit, it must be from the inside coming out. We're trying to smear it on the outside. But God's church isn't built like that. It's built from where? The inside coming out. You do not need some seminary to tell you what the Bible says. God is his own interpreter. You do not need an outside influence to tell you how you should live the Christian life. That conscience and that conviction and that leadership should come from the inside out, from the Christ in you to be able to live a Christian life. It comes from the inside out. You don't need your pastor to tell you every response, every way to act. Let me tell you, my job is to give you the full counsel of God, to let you know what God's word says, and then let the Holy Spirit quicken that word and let you live it and walk it so that it comes from the inside out. It doesn't come because I tell you how to walk. It doesn't come because I tell you how to dress. It doesn't come that I tell you, don't kiss that boy or don't have that girl hold your hand uh, because the scripture says so. It comes because you've got enough conviction in your heart, and it comes out in a lived life that you can actually stand as a Christian and resist the temptations of this world. The moment that we start to do things from the outside in, then let me tell you, you've got the church under man's control, and that's not the way that God designed the church to live. He says the apple doesn't come from the outside of the tree, it comes from the inside out, and the church has got an outside intellectual seminary experience, best polished scholars we've ever had, and the church has got the weakest pulpits it had in every age. Is because we're trying to control it from the outside. That's not God's program. God's program is to inspire from the inside. So he sends you gifts, he sends you ministers to preach the word of God. That word of God strikes something on the inside and it transforms into a life that's lived, that's pleasing unto God. And when that comes from within, that's the only way you're going to get the blessing of God upon your life. And that's where holiness comes from. That's where your commitment comes from. That's where your revelation comes from. That's where everything you have need of for the rest of this journey comes from. It comes from the inside, not from the outside. But when Satan stood there and told Eve, that you shall not die. And he says, you know, if you eat the, the fruit of the tree, then you're going to know good from evil. You don't need God to define what's good and evil. You can do that yourself. Look at where that's gotten us today in our world, where men are defining what's good and what's evil. 
Look at where that's got us today. It's absolute chaos and confusion out there and absolutely taken away our independence as uh, eventually as Christians and as Christian churches. Let me tell you, the liberty you have to educate your children and the, to be able to have faith-based health care and to be able to have uh, you know churches that are uh, non-denominational churches, independent churches, and so forth. Let me tell you, those liberties are hanging by a thread in our time. Because the system wants to tell from the outside how this should be. That's not God's program. We're living in a world where the challenge is now, when circumstances change, are you going to let God control things in your life, even if the circumstances are difficult? I will tell you. Uh, I, I will tell you that's a challenging thing. It is a challenging thing for us to think about, uh, you know, what we're going to let God do. Oh, we got to quit. It's closing time. I'm sorry. Kept you over time. Christians, Brother Brandon says, may never see you again. Line up with God's word. Look in the mirror. Heavenly Father, how we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Father, it's just so challenging for us. And how that Satan would love to exercise unhealthy control over our lives and over our churches, over our ministries, Lord. But I, I know, Lord, that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And, Lord, may you empower the bride to stand strong in a world, Lord, that's filled with many voices and much confusion. Father, may we just gauge everything. May we compare everything, Lord, to the absolute you have given to us. But, Lord, I pray that you dig deep. I pray that you would scrape away every every cell of unbelief, every cell of sickness, everything that keeps us from standing straight and upright. Remove it from us, Lord, I pray. Dig deep. And even though, Lord, there may be things unpleasant that are spoken about, it's our responsibility as Christians to look in the mirror of your word and just let you be the great physician for us. Deal with our hearts, Lord, not according to judgment, but according to mercy. Forgive us of our wrongs and our mistakes. Deal with hearts is my prayer. Deal with my heart. And help me, Lord, I pray, to just submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, saints. Thank you for being with us tonight. God bless you. And may the Lord deal with your heart in an everlasting and permanent way. In the same way that God's, you know, God's allowed the medical technology to be able to deal with a problem in my hand and, you know, to be able to straighten things out there. And the work is done. Now it's just a healing process. It just takes time, just allowing things to come back the way they should. I'm thankful for that. It's not pleasant, but I'm thankful because on the other side of this whole process is something good. May God bless you. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Lord willing, we'll see you on the weekend. God bless.